Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit Collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. I was thinking of very old times when the Romans first came here, 1900 years ago, the other day. Imagine the feelings of the commander of a fine, what do you call them, trireme in the Mediterranean, ordered suddenly to the north. Or think of a decent young citizen in a toga, perhaps too much dice, you know, coming out here in the train of some prefect, land in a swamp, march through the woods, and in some inland post, feel the savagery, the utter savagery had closed around him. All that mysterious life of the wilderness that stirs in the forest, in the jungles, in the hearts of wild men. Imagine the growing regrets, the longing to escape, the powerless disgust, the surrender, the hate. So, Tom Holland, that's how I feel when I come to London. (laughs) That quotation from Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad in which Marlowe, the narrator, imagines the feelings of a Roman, a young Roman, posted to Britannia. What a god-awful posting that is. And he ends up in London, of all places. Well, I think, I think Dominic, it's, it's actually imagining um, a, a Roman coming up the Thames estuary before London has even been founded. Yeah. Um, and we are, today we're going on a, a tour of Roman London, of Londinium, but I think that, that part of the fascination of Roman London for anyone who has, you know, who's apocalyptically minded is the sense that um, there was a time when this huge city didn't exist. And yep. it's entirely a creation of the Romans. And then, of course, after the Romans leave, it, it collapses and crumbles again. Um, and Conrad is writing that at a time when, you know, London is the, the great imperial capital of the world's yep. largest empire, larger Rome. than Rome. It is yeah. the new Rome. Um, and it's prefiguring the story of Marlowe going up the Congo. Yeah. Um, you know, the heart of darkness. And I think that we're standing now on London Bridge, the south side of London so Bridge. Set the scene for us, Tom. Yeah. Tell us what we can see. We've got St. Paul's over on the horizon, the great dome, the symbol of the Blitz and all that stuff. Yeah, so, we, so, so we're, we're on London Bridge. We've got the, the Thames flowing, the vastness of the Thames. We've got, um, we've got uh, the embankment has been built up. 
we've got the great kind of monuments to Mammon, the great the great towers of the city, and then we've got the Tower of the London on Tower of London on the right side and Tower Bridge. Um, but thinking about Roman London takes us back to a time when none of this existed, when there were no wharves, there were no build-up. The, the, the Thames was a kind of great bog. And the reason that we're standing here now and the reason that London exists is because it's crucially, this is the lowest bridging point on the Thames. Where we are now? Yeah. So when the Romans land here, AD 43, they need to cross the Thames. And probably this was a, a fording point where we're standing now. It's a hell of a long ford, Tom. I it mean, is a long, a long it, way across. It is a long ford. It, but they had, they had Batavians who came from... Uh, Batavia. From, from the, ne- from <laughs> yes. the Netherlands, uh, from the Low Countries, who were, were very adept... The producer's at, very amused by that. <laughs> <laughs> giggling away. But they shouldn't be because the Batavians were serious guys who um, they, they could uh, cross rivers in full armour with their horses. That is impressive. I hope so you they were able to do that and, and get Tony. across. But it, very, very quickly, the Romans built a bridge here. And on the far side, roads were then built going to northwards, westwards, um, So you were telling eastwards. me there's no, nobody, it hasn't occurred to the Celts to... I mean, if, it, if it's a fording point, there must be some... Is there a settlement? As, as there... far as we know, there was... Um, there was an oppidum, so a kind of a, a, a hill fort, a kind of proto-town at Woolwich... Right. But no other settlement, really. I mean, maybe the old farm. But essentially, that description in, in, that Conrad gives you of the, of the trireme coming up the Thames estuary and looking out and seeing nothing but savagery and barbarism. I mean, it wasn't. But, you know, we're talking mud flats. We're talking forests. Yeah. There's nothing here. And this is what makes London unusual in the Roman context, is that, by and large, when the Romans move into a place... They set their provincial capital up in a, a place that is already a major centre. Right. So, so that's a trading absolutely. You know, market so, down. so the major the major settlement in Britain when the Romans invade is um, Camelodunum, Colchester. So that Colchester duly becomes the first capital. But London is kind of great. So you know the famous description of London is that it's the Great Wen, a kind of great pustule or boil or spot that grows yeah. on the country yeah. and that works perfectly as well in the roman period because there's there's no plan to build a found a city here it just grows organically why because this is the lowest bridging point as we said and the bridge is built here but it's also a port so you can sail up here so it that is what makes london yeah and has always made london the obvious capital once you have a unitary state in southern britain because this is kind of made by geography to be the capital and that essentially so it kind of grows organically in a way that by and large in roman britain most cities don't most cities here are artificial we're about halfway over the bridge now um heading towards the city tell us a bit more about the people who lived here when the romans arrived so they're celtic yeah um and the sort of stereotype is basically they're painted blue you know, yeah. daubing each other in mud. Drinking milk. Yeah. Absolutely vile customs. <laughs> Just behaving disgracefully. <laughs> yes. Um, Shocking. Um, no, they're, they're, they're a bit more civilised than that. They are, you know, they're on the periphery of a great empire. And so, um, like most people's on the periphery of a great empire, they're influenced by it. So they're starting to invest in wine. They're starting to copy things like coinage. Um, they may well actually be um, settled, you know, uh, tribal entities here who have already essentially submitted to the Romans even before the, the formal invasion. Why, why do the Romans bother? I know that's a huge question and you, we don't want to have it dominate the whole episode. But in a couple of lines, this is not a very, you know, a, as the Conrad description suggests, it's not a terribly attractive part of Europe. 
they're so rich already and powerful. Why do they even bother? Well, Britain, Britain is actually very, I mean, it's, it's, it's agriculturally rich. Um, it's full of minerals. Um, Tin. It, it, it is also, um, it's there. And right. empires expand. Okay. Um, it's, and, and Claudius, the emperor who launches the invasion, you know, he famously, uh, people who've watched like Claudius will know he, he stutters, he limps, his head rolls. Um, <laughs> he wants to, to cut a dash. Yeah, he needs um, it for political reasons, He basically. needs it for political reasons. Um, and, and so actually, the very first representation of Britannia, so the figure who appears on our coins, yeah. um, it, it appears on a, um, a frieze in a temple in, in what's now Turkey. And it shows Claudius as a kind of um, iron-bodied rapist. He's raping her. So Britannia is, is the, a woman. Oh, she's right. had her clothes torn off her. Claudius is holding her. Um, and that's essentially why Claudius launches it. He needs, he needs a coup. He wants people to do mosaics and freezes like that about him, basically. <laughs> he does. Well, he, wants, he, wa- he wants to cut a dash. He wants to, 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 to pose as an imperator, a general, an emperor. I mean, yeah. An emperor has that kind of that roots in, in, in the military sense of it. So, Tom, we're now on the, um, just reaching the other side of the Thames, the north side. So at what point would you say do the Romans identify this as, a, as a, a future settlement? So within you know, a few years of landing or is it? Yeah, as I said, I think it grows up organically. So um, it, it becomes a military base. They build a fort here. Um, it, it controls you know, the access to the continent. Yeah, so, so there's a document that's been found yeah. that dates from incredibly early on. So Probably uh, the, the bridge is built, a wooden bridge is here by um, 47. So okay. That's, um, what, within like three or four years? Of yeah, the, so three or four think. years after, after the invasion. And then 10 years after that, and we can date it very precisely to the 8th of January, AD 57, you have an IOU. So somebody promising to pay money back. And what you realize is, so we're, we're now crossing into the city and we're yeah. surrounded by, you know, these great gleaming towers, monuments to, to money making. London, right from the beginning, has been about making money. Yeah. Uh, so traders are coming in here. The ethos of the city has never changed. The basically. ethos of the city has never changed. You know, the Romans uh, can appreciate a strategically crucial transport and military node when they see it. And that's why by the end of, um, certainly by the end of the first century, it's, it's, pre- it's, it's pretty clear that it's replaced Colchester as the capital of the province because it's, it, you know, it is, it is the obvious capital. But of course, before that, Dominic, yes, um, there is the first of one of the many catastrophes that have overwhelmed uh, the city of London, um, which hits it in either AD 60 or 61, which is, of course, Boudicca's revolt. We will head now up towards um, uh, Bank, Bank Tube Station, serving the Bank of England. Yep. And there is a stretch of road there called Poultry. So in, yeah. you know, in the Middle Ages, that's where, where chickens were sold. And number one Poultry was redeveloped in the 80s and 90s. And during the process of redevelopment, something extraordinary was found. So um, let's wait till we get oh, there and exciting. then we can discuss it. That is very exciting. So, Tom... To unwitting eyes, it would seem that we just stopped outside a branch of NatWest. Um, <laughs> yeah, explain we... to me the, uh, the thrilling story behind this spot. Okay, so we're, we're now looking at number one poultry, 
which was um, designed by James Sterling. The whole process by which it came to be built here was very controversial because it very was on the site of yes. Mappin and Webb, which is a very handsome Victorian building. But from the point of view of Roman archaeology, it was great because um, they dug down and in the foundations, um, they found 48 skulls, all of young men. So clearly been decapitated and, and, and dumped there. Um, and charred buildings. And these buildings have dated to around AD 60. So this is the evidence for what you get in Tacitus, the report of Boudicca's revolt, that she incinerates London. So this and, is, uh, and, and London has kind of been burnt three times. Um, this was the first. Then, of course, you have the Great Fire, yeah. 1666, and then you have the Blitz. And the reason that um, this was preserved is because of you'll see we're standing on a street called Walbrook yes. and the Walbrook is a river that is running directly beneath us. So and it's it, a lost river, right? It's a so lost river. So the place where we're, we're, we're by bank, the bank of England and the bank of England stands over the Walbrook. It's actually in a river Valley. So we're between Ludgate Hill and Cornhill. And oh, this, you'd never know it. Would it? You'd never would know it? it. You'd never know it. But this, so this river flows, it, it's about flows about two miles, rises about two and a half miles north of the Thames, flows due south. And the, the, the Roman city basically gathered around it because they could use the river as a, a, an open sewer. And because of that, loads of organic material was preserved. When you say organic material? Um, sandals, letters. Okay, okay that's ba- um, better than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, yeah, prob- probably a bit more as well. And loads of this material has actually been preserved about two minutes' walk from here. So if we head down southwards... okay. So we'll head to what is probably one of the most, I, I mean, I think it is, the most romantic and exciting finds ever made in Roman London, which was a temple to Mithras, friend okay. of the show, very, who, who featured I, in the I World Cup of Gods. But before that, Tom, do not throw away this story about Boudicca and the skulls. So the story goes that she and her, now remind me, I'm, I'm trying to remember my nine-year-old history lessons. Um, she and her daughters have been molested by Romans and in yeah, revenge. So she's the they... queen of a tribe called the, um, the Icani who yeah. um, inhabit uh, East Anglia, uh, Norfolk, that kind of area. Um, and her husband, Prasutagas, is an ally of the Roman people. Um, when he dies, the Romans move in um, and they, they rape Boudicca, they rape her daughters and... Um, this is an unwise thing to do because yeah. uh, Boudicca raises the, uh, the Iconians and um, they sweep down and they burn Colchester. They burn London. They burn uh, Verulanium, St. Albans. Um, um, and um, it looks as though the entire future of the, of the province is hanging in the balance. And they meet with um, Suetonius Paulinus, who is, um, he's been uh, attacking the Druids up in Anglesey. And he comes herring back when the news reaches him and meets with, uh, with Boudicca's army and wipes them out. Uh, and the uh, skulls, the young men. Yeah, these are what Roman soldiers who've been caught, basically in London. Pre- no, they presume presumably they are civilians. Um, the, uh, the the Britons are headhunters. Um, they're kind of trophies, right? They're presumably. I mean, we don't know. I mean, it's you know, very hard to dance. It's very hard to dance. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, the the thing about Roman London, our understanding of it is based on a kind of meshing together of documentary sources yeah which are, are often very 
fragmentary. So we do have Tacitus say on, on Boudicca, but then there are whole periods where the city is simply not mentioned at all by Roman historians. So you have to fill in the gaps because with archaeology. Because and so, it's inconsequential to them, basically, because it's in Britain and it's a long way yeah, away and who yeah, cares? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically. And the people who lived here, I mean, okay, there's very little evidence one way or the other, but uh, your best guess, Tom, the people who lived here, they're kind of Romano-British. Are they Celtic extraction? Are they of Celtic origin? Well, I, th- I think it's it's likelier to be. Um, cert- I mean, certainly there would be people who are who are British living here, but it would also be lots of, of people from abroad. It would be settlers and traders and so on. Yeah. So lots of. Uh, lots and of so they would be the, they, they, they proto French coming over. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting. There's so probably the best preserved stretch of wall. We'll come to the walls later on. Is by Tower Hill. There, as part of, embedded in part of the, the, the fabric of the medieval wall when it got built, was a tombstone of um, a Gaul who'd come over here in the wake of Boudicca's rebellion to kind of basically set up a tax apparatus that would not provoke rebellion. So to try and kind of calm things down. So he's the colonial administrator who comes in, but he's a Gaul. Right. That's um, so you can see how, yeah. of course, I mean, Roman London is... Is, is connected to Gaul closer than it is to Rome. So there are, yeah. there are probably people from Italy here, but they're more likely to be traders from Gaul. Yeah. Um, anyway, we have now arrived outside the, the London Mithraeum. And this was found in the 50s. So, you know, the Blitz was tremendously good for Roman archaeology. Um, and it, it was found, it was, again, kind of by the site of the wall, by, by the banks of the Walbrook. And it was very, very inconvenient for the developers. You know, they didn't want a, a, a temple to Mithras. Yeah. And, and the reason that it's preserved is, is because, you know, as listeners to the World Cup of Gods will remember, that basically Mithras worshippers are kind of like masons, male only. Um, it, it, it's all about kind of signing up and uh, making friends and yeah. contacts and that kind it's of like thing. Brooks is for you, Tom. Uh, well, perhaps a little bit, a little bit. But the temples are situated underground. This, this temple had survived for that reason. It was kind of very deep in the archaeological layer, but inconvenient for the developers. So they removed it and they situated it next to a very busy road and surrounded it by 1950s style crazy paving. So it could not have looked less romantic. But then when um, Bloomberg came here and developed this space and part of the, the planning condition was that they had to, to, to provide a new space for, for the Mithras temple, which I, they've done, I have to say, absolutely superbly. So you can go in here, anyone, anyone in London can visit it. It's, it's a really, really excellent experience. You go deep, deep down. They've kind of set up sound and light shows so that you have a sense of what the temple actually looked Sounds like. Great, Tom. It is in. very good. Let's go in. But, but, the, we, we, but we're not going to do that. What we are going to go in <laughs> oh. is, is go and have a look at some of the organic material from the Walbrook, which is preserved inside. So, Tom, we've come inside. And just for people who don't know the area, uh, it's right next to Bank Tube Station. We're in the heart of the city, surrounded by massive, towering office blocks. And here is this fantastic-looking little museum. And Tom, for people who don't know, a Mithraeum and Mithras. So this is this very obscure god, isn't it? Um, the heyday of the empire, uh, basically a sort of club for the officer class. Is that fair? That um, men, sort of upwardly mobile, aspirational Roman men, sort of captains and so on, they gather, what, underground? And we don't know what they do. Do they... Something to do with bulls. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mithras is meant to have, have killed the bull at the, the beginning of time. And um, uh, the cult of Mithras kind of replicates this. Yeah. Um, uh, so this, this temple is uh, built around um, AD 240. Um, and it's, it's, 
as you say, a cult. I mean, you know, we said very like the Masons. Yes. It's the kind of place where you go and you meet useful people and it has kind of different grades. So you go in at the bottom and the ambition is to go higher and higher and higher. Excellent. At the start of the show, I mentioned the, um, the very earliest document ever found uh, written in Britain, yes. which is this um, IOU from the very early years of London. And this is it. So you can see it there. Very exciting. But um, next to it, there is another one. Um, and this is, in a way, equally exciting. So probably from 65 to, to 70. So, you know, less than a decade after the incineration yeah. of the city by Almost 2,000 years old. And the reason that this is exciting is this is the first ever mention on a document from London of the name of London. So, Londinium. So, what am I looking at, Tom? Because, I mean, it's very, very faded. Yeah, it's, it's a wooden tablet, and they've scratched on it with a yeah, stylus. Yeah, and so the, there'd be wax on it, and the imprint of the stylus would leave marks on the wood. Yeah. And then it gets chucked out, gets thrown into the mud, sinks into the mud of the Walbrook, and it's then preserved. And so whenever there's excavations here, you know, we're in the heart of the city, so they're always building, digging deep foundations. This stuff gets turned up, and you can see there's all kinds of, you know, so there's coins, there's... Um, there's amphorae, there are keys, there's nick combs, yes. there's all kinds, you know, mosaics, so all kinds of stuff. It's a fantastic hoard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's I mean, wonderful. So. And, but I think, I think the stuff that is really moving and powerful is, is the organic material, which otherwise doesn't survive. So as well as this writing stuff, you've got an ore, um, you've got a bit, piece of a door, and you've got a sandal. Yeah, the sandals kind are great, of wonderful. aren't they? The sandals are beautifully preserved. Really, really wonderful. Um, um, so a, a, anyone in London who hasn't been here, it's a, an amazing thing. It's free. Um, we're not going to go down into the bowels of the building to look at the Mithras temple. Well, we haven't been initiated. So we <laughs> no, we haven't. Although we are men, so we are allowed to do it. Right. Um, but part of the problem is that we don't have huge amounts of written material explaining yeah. what's happening in the history of London. So we have to kind of work out from the archaeology. And most of the buildings of Roman London in its heyday have vanished. So all you really have are fragments. And I think part of the fascination of Roman London is the way in which... You, you, you can have a sense of it as it actually was, but it's also a place of myth and fantasy. So rather like, um, you know, Conrad imagining the, the Roman centurion coming up the, t- the Thames estuary, over the entire sweep of its history, so all the way through the Middle Ages, through the Tudor period and so on, these fragments of Roman London that have been found by later periods have generated myths, fantasies, um, so I think our, we'll, we'll, we'll go for a break now. And when we come back, we'll go and, and, and have a look at the, a few of the fragments that are preserved. And they appear in quite odd contexts and, and, and interesting Excellent. contexts. I look forward to it. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. So you need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person and I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you like all at the same time. Well, Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to The Rest is History. We are in the heart of Roman London. Uh, we're by some roadworks. There are lorries. It's incredibly glamorous. And Tom <laughs> Holland, who's been talking about doing this podcast for basically as long as I've known him. I'm so excited. Has stopped by one of his favorite artifacts, which is a, basically a, just a big stone. <laughs> so, Tom, tell us about this well, stone. <laughs> any, any, anyone with any interest in Roman London knows the thrill to be had from looking at lumps of stone. It's what it's all about. So we're opposite Cannon Street Railway Station, and we're looking at um, what is called the London Stone. Right, which good is name. one of name. one of the weirdest, most um, kind of folkloric things to be seen in the whole of the capital, and it's first mentioned, I think, in in the the twelfth century, um, and it was this great, th- th- this huge kind of stone that stood in the middle of Cannon Street, and it was believed that whoever uh, you, you could ride up, you could touch it with your sword, and then you'd rule London. Well, so, I have a good fact about this, Tom. Yeah? Did you know that in 1450, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, go on. Uh, the rebel leader Jack Cage, <laughs> leading a rebellion against non-friend of the show, Henry VI, he struck it with his sword and claimed to be Lord of London. I did know that, because it says that on the, the placard, which uh, is right next to it. Tom, don't spoil the illusion. <laughs> Ex- exactly so. Um, and did you... Oh, an ambulance is going past... It's the uh, history Dominic, police, I think. Dominic, did you also know that in 1742, the London Stone was moved to the north side of the street and eventually set in an alcove in the wall of St. Swithin's Church on this yeah, side? Yeah, you're very blatantly reading the placard. Yeah, now. yeah. Okay. Um, so, so this is this kind of, it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of folkloric, how weird that this one stone, which frankly, I've said a big stone, but it's, I mean, it's well, not that so, big. So it's over the size, co- of, size of a very large parcel, basically. So, since, so, so originally, it was much larger. Okay. And, and people have been chipping bits off it over Claiming the course to be of Lords the Middle Ages. And- all, kind of, all that kind of malarkey. And basically, nobody has any idea what it was or where it came from. So John Stowe, the great Elizabethan antiquary. Yeah. Um, he says, the cause why this stone was set there, the time when, or other memory hereof, is none. And so over the course of, of the centuries, people have come up with all kinds of theories as to what the London Stone was. So very popular theory in the Tudor period was that it had been set up by Brutus, um, the Trojan who came here the and killed all the Britain. dragons, yeah. the, tra- the founder of Britain. Uh, more recently, people have thought that it was um, a, a great stone on which the Druids conducted sacrifices. Um, other people have, have said that it's the palladium, so it's the kind of a stone that, that symbolizes the city, and that if it gets stolen, then the city will fall. So it's a, kind of, ravens of, in the yeah, it's a kind of lapidary equivalent of the ravens. Um, 
and and even now there you know people are into ley lines and that kind of stuff are yeah. you know peter Ackroyd and everything you know, all, all kind of obsessed with the london i'm, I'm surprised i can't see will self here or yes, someone like that exactly um but the where we're standing now is where the um the praetorium so the basically the the governor's headquarters would have been of okay. which there is no trace whatsoever no it's just a leon and the theory is is that that this marked the gateway into into the governor's headquarters and so it, some sort of memory of that was preserved yeah. and so it's it was preserved so so the romans leave um there is this kind of great archway here and it's yeah. it's preserved and it kind of sinks into the you know the accumulated dirt of the saxon town um and it's kept as a kind of totem of the city so if 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 that's the case then this is the only fragment of the praetorium that we have um but we don't know and that is both the kind of the fascination and the, the frustration mayor, i think the mayor of london should come and be sworn in <laughs> touching this stone should. don't you so essentially unlike you know some of the grander roman cities yeah. so little remains of of roman london and, so, and, and we're jumping ahead a bit i know in time but the reason for that is basically that the city falls into total ruin when the romans leave in the dark ages right i mean it, yeah, yes it yes so that but it's also that the um uh the, the city plan as it exists now is essentially anglo-saxon um, so it, it doesn't correspond to the Roman street plan at all. And the, 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 the buildings are used, um, you know, they're cannibalized. Yeah. So the stone is used to build new, the, the new structures. Um, and the thing that's distinctive about London is that you do have this kind of break because when the Romans leave, the interior of London seems to have been regarded as, as cursed. You know, people, people don't move here. The Anglo-Saxon settlement is further down the Thames at Aldwych. And then you just have these kind of endless cycles of calamity that overwhelms London. So yeah. you know, endless fires, endless rebuildings and so on. And it's just, it's just kind of incinerated it. There are, I mean, there are, there are trace elements. They're almost all underground. So we've, we, we went to the Mithraeum. That's kind of wonderful. There's also um, the amphitheater, which is at the Guildhall. And again, is a kind of underground museum. Really worth, worth visiting. But how much of the amphitheater is there? You can see traces of it. There are traces. Kind of, yeah. Well, no. That you, word "traces." <laughs> the producer's raising his eyebrows. No. <laughs> I followed your recommendations on holidays, and uh, <laughs> there are. I've there, learned well, my lesson. Okay. Well, let's let's say there, there there is more of the amphitheatre than there is of the um, the Praetorium. For those people, who, for those people who haven't listened to our previous podcast, I should say. Last summer, my family went on holiday to Greece, and Tom recommended a temple in Sparta. He said it was absolutely brilliant. And uh, my wife said, oh, well, we'll just check it on Google Maps first. So we checked it on Google Maps, had a look at the street view. There are about four very, very low stones in a field. And the first review said, popular haunt for the homeless and drug addicts. <laughs> so we decided to give it a miss. I think, I think that speaks very poorly of your sense of adventure. It does. It does. Yeah. I think but we Dominic, went to the beach what, or but Dominic what I would say is that seen through the right lenses... If yes. one is in the right mood, if one has a spirit of adventure, yeah. it's possible to accept that the very lack of uh, remnants of a great building is in itself a kind of romantic. Terribly romantic. So as I walk past this branch of Costa, <laughs> well, I feel stirred so, at the thought of the great buildings that were once on this spot. So actually, what, what, what we're going to head to now is one, of the, um, is one of the most, I think, romantic spots in the whole of Roman London. Oh, and it's 
Don't oversell it, Tom. <laughs> it's a trace element of right. what was the that 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 one of if not again. the largest buildings north of the Alps, Roman buildings north of the Alps, okay. and it was the Basilica of uh, of Londinium, which stood in the heart of the Forum, and we're now. So we're heading um, eastwards from Cannon Street. We've just come to uh, to London Bridge again. So we're um, by Monument Tube Station. So we're by Monument by Tube Station. By the great monument built to yep. the Great Fire of London. Um, and we're going to head up to um, a, a place that we've already visited in the course of this series, which is Leadenhall Market. Oh, we, yes. we went there for our, for our episode goose. on for our goose in the Christmas Carol episode. And the Basilica stood on Leadenhall Market. And, you know, which is kind of fitting because the Basilica served as a market. It served as a kind of great assembly point. Uh, it was so people who've been into, you know, a basilica in uh, in, in Italy, kind of, you know, church. Yeah. Structure of churches was modeled on, on, on Roman basilicas. Um, it was three stories high. So absolutely kind of sumptuous showcase building illustrating for people that um, even in the kind of barbarous wilds of this chilly island, uh, set in the ocean, you could have civilised shopping. Well, and as luck would have but, it, there's a Marks and Spencer's just up the road. <laughs> but it's almost, almost completely vanished. But there is one chunk of it left, um, and I think we should go and have a look at it now. So, Tom, of all the uh, locations you brought me to, none has been more unexpected than this. This is a, um, well, it's a barber shop. There's no, yeah. there's no way of... Uh, Selling yeah. it otherwise. Nicholson and Griffin, men's grooming. Um, it looks excellent, actually. So we're in Leadenhall Market now. I, this was always my favourite spot when I did tours of Roman London for the, uh, the, uh, the children of the primary school that my daughters went to. And I, we'd, they'd come you here. You were and, that dad. I who, was that dad. Who the other dads all I, hated. I was that dad. Who was always there no, pestering always the there, teachers I, to let him do fun is, things with the kids. This is, this, is what, this is the one thing I do every term. We go on a tour of Roman London and they, you know, 30 of them little yeah. crocodile and they'd come here and we'd stand outside the nicholson and griffin men's grooming and um they would let us go down into the basement so you'd have a little crocodile of children would head down solemnly into the basement see what is down in the basement and then solemnly come back up and we can now replicate that so that so explains I, um, tom why just by the in the barbers i can see a photo of you on the wall <laughs> with a sign saying do not open the door to this man listeners he is lying let's go in let's go in and see what's downstairs so we're fighting our way so lots past of the customers. Chairs everywhere, and in the corner, what do we, what do we oh, see? That there is unexpected. Is. So that's the basilica. So, so what we're seeing is we've got, we've got people having their hair cut, talking about so the holidays, basins and stuff. Yeah. And then um, there's a, a kind of glass door, and beyond the door, there is a chunk of recognisably Roman masonry. You can tell Absolutely, it's, you can tell it's Roman yeah. because very kind of thin, narrow bricks. Yeah. And that is all that remains of the largest building built by the Romans north of the Alps. Tom, I, I take my hat off The Roman you. Basilica. You've not oversold this at all. And it is more than a trace. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite great, a good it? bit of wall. And it's behind this sort of uh, glass door. So it's clearly quite nicely preserved. You can come and have your hair cut and then go and admire it. It's it, very it's impressive. It's absolutely the place to come for your hair cut. It's a wonderful salon. And it provides you with a little bit of Roman um, archaeology as well. Yeah. And I what, what more could a gentleman Even want? Even a producer who is the soul of cynicism is looking <laughs> wide-eyed with um, excitement. He, I think he's actually just had a haircut, <laughs> which is a shame, because otherwise he could come down here and... Uh, yeah, have, have a kind of done. haircut and penance. And the thing that's great is that there's, there's, um, there's a statue of, uh, 
of Apollo, a bust of Apollo yes. on, on the ledge next to it. And there's a picture on the wall of, of the basilica. Of what yeah. think, I mean, the, it looks, was it as big as this, Tom? That's yeah. huge. Yeah, it's, it, it, it was a really, really huge structure. So, I mean, the size, um, I mean, what's that, the size of a football stadium, roughly? Yeah, yes. And so that was and, the And perfectly of... square. So the, the Rome Forum was, was perfectly square. Um, oh, so sorry, that picture is not the basilica, it's the forum. Yeah, it's the forum. Um, well, it's the basilica in the middle, and then you've got the forum all around it. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that is a contrast with the modern city, because famous, notoriously, the, the street plan in London, of the city of London is an absolute mess. Yes. It's not a grid. So this is beautifully uh, laid out. Very so this of, is much yeah. more a kind of Manhattan style. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 the Anglo-Saxon street plan, which has replaced it, is, you know, that's why it's so difficult to get around the city. You always get lost. But back in the Roman period, much more of, of, of a grid pattern. And so you've got here, um, it tells you about it. This support or pier is the only surviving part of Roman London's basilica, served as the base of an arch in one of the basilica's arcades, housed Roman London's town hall, law courts, um, central market, built in AD 70. It was enlarged from AD 1920, became the largest such building north of the Alps. So there you go. Yeah, I'll take my hat off to you. Okay, so I think there's, there's, there's one more of the great sights of Roman London to see, uh, and that is the wall, which was built towards the end of the second century, um, possibly by a guy called Clodius Albinus. So, that's, so he's a usurper, is he? Yes, Clodius the, the White, uh, Clodius the Pale. Um, yes, so he took on Septimius Severus, uh, who uh, himself subsequently came to Britain, uh, and actually died here, died in York. Um, and uh, Clodius Albinus came to a grisly end. But uh, it's very possible that he was the guy, because um, he was governor of Britain, um, that he he built the wall so that London could serve as a a kind of fitting capital for for a would-be emperor. But that would be um, ridiculous. I mean, to have London as your capital would have been ridiculous for a would-be emperor. Yeah, but he's right? but he's th- he's starting off, so he wants to. I mean, right. a bit a bit actually, you know, kind of like. Um, uh, Constantine as well, who who um, is proclaimed emperor in York. Britain, there is this idea, you know, Saint Jerome calls Britain the nursery of tyrants because it has three legions, and so therefore it's a very very useful place for would be usurper. Yeah, to, to have you know you can go conquer Gaul and then hopefully move on to to Italy as as Constantine does. Um, but, but and so the walls have to, you know, they, they, I don't think that that Roman London was under any military threat at the end of the second century. But the walls were built to serve as a symbol, yeah. a, a grand prestigious capital. Sort of status, prestige. Status yeah. had to have walls. And these walls provided essentially, I mean, that they, they, you know, they lasted up until quite recently. So the gates, you know, so you have Ludgate, you have uh, Newgate, you have Bishopsgate, Allgate. All these gates um, preserve the trace elements of the wall that existed. They're a very, very sizable chunk, as I think I mentioned, by, um, by Tower Hill. Yeah. Uh, and there are other traces as well. And I want to take you, Dominic, to see what I think is the most romantic, the most unexpected chunk of the wall. And again, it will require us to go underground. Excellent. I look forward to it. So, Tom, we've been walking along the line of the Roman Wall. Very exciting, but, but a, a moment of excitement, an extraordinary drama that we couldn't possibly have anticipated. We stopped at some traffic lights, and who should be there? But would you want to tell the story? A wang. One of our wangs. Uh, James, James, who I think works at the Guildhall. I, yeah. Um, stopped and, us and, and said the sentence that I think both of us have been waiting all our lives to hear. I'm one of your wangs. <laughs> 
so so uh, james if you uh, if you hear this uh, it was great to meet you um and uh i hope you're enjoying this show and just to explain the producer saying just before we cancelled on the grounds of just saying demented <laughs> mad stuff um the wangs are members of the rest of history club which you can of course join at rest of history pod.com james at a very very reasonable price yeah it's james will tell you it is practically yeah but peanuts get all kinds of treats and delights yeah, we're giving them away uh now back to the roman war we walked along the course of the wall and here we are and it is actually a genuine bit of wall time it is genuinely a stretch it's more wall. than a trace although what we're so, so we're now on the barbican and um the barbican takes its name uh, from a latin word a late latin word uh, barbicana uh, which is a, a watchtower okay uh, it was built um towards the end of the roman period um but the stretch of wall that we're looking at now is not actually built by the Romans. Oh. So we're looking at crenellations, and yeah. this was built by a friend of the show, Edward IV. Oh, my but, word, Tom. How this is incredibly disappointing. But the, the, the medieval wall, of course, is built on the line of the Roman wall. Right. Uh, so the Roman wall the is... bricks are wrong, aren't they? They're not the same the, the very bricks, low yeah. kind of bricks that the Romans were. So, uh, you know, again and again, the Roman city lies underground because yeah. there's been this kind of a- accumulation. The reason I brought you here is we're just, um, we're just east of Cripplegate. So why is it called Cripplegate? Well, uh, according to Stowe, our antiquarian friend from the Elizabethan period, it derives from the cripples begging there. Oh, right. That's what he says. Okay. I mean, that seems the most I- improbable explanation really i think so i think he's i don't why is that? i think people have no idea why why it has that name but cripplegate it, we're now on the site of the roman fort so the roman fort was built before the walls were built around 100 ad 120 um and the walls kind of the line of the wall was joined up with the fort um and so that you know this garrison protecting the city protecting yeah. the, the, the the governor this kind of crucial uh center of 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 the, of the roman province but I want to take you to see one particular stretch of, of authentic, ect Roman wall. When you say authentic, I mean, is this authentic? It, it is properly Roman. Okay. But to do that, unsurprisingly, we have to go underground. Okay, you're always luring me into basements. <laughs> okay, so Dominic, I've, I've, I've brought you further, um, further westwards. We're now... Um, yeah, we're, we're outside the like London the entrance into a multi-story car park. That is, well, it's not a multi-story car park, but it is. It is an underground car park. We're by the Museum of London. There's another chunk of the of the medieval wall. So this is Edward the Edward the Fourth wall. Actually, I think say? this is actually. Um, I think this is um, maybe even early modern. I think it's it's um, Tudor. Yeah, I think this is Tudor. Anyway, we're we're now at the London Wall car, car park. park. Never let it be said that we don't go to the most exotic and glamorous <laughs> locations. Um, so we're, we're going into the car park um, and we're directly under the line. So, so this, the street overhead us is called London Wall. Yeah. And all of this stretch got blitzed. The road that is called London Wall, which is, uh, basically runs along the line of the, the London Wall, um, didn't exist before the blitz. So this is all part of the, the city redevelopment that included the building of the Barbican. Yeah. So um, the Barbican, for those people who don't know, who don't know London, is this sort of um, colossal complex. This sort of, it's a sort of uh, monument, isn't it, to um, the 60s kind of spirit, isn't it? The, yeah, yeah, it's kind of semi-brutalist. Yeah, it's, it's famously you get lost. You just yeah. kind of, it's <laughs> like a huge the Barbican maze. many times. Yes, um, it's a brutalist maze. So, but this car park was built as part of the redevelopment. Uh, and once again, you know, a familiar story on this episode, uh, the developers found uh, something unexpected 
which was a chunk of the original Roman wall. Tom, does it not occur to you that there must have been so much destroyed in the 19th century yeah. when they were digging the underground and so on? I mean, imagine the Roman artefacts that must have been lost. Yeah. I think back then, if you were digging foundations and you discovered some Roman remains, you... <laughs> I mean, you'd probably keep it. You'd give a few chunks of it to an antiquarian and then you'd just get on with the business. Yeah, you would. I mean, it's an, in, you know, interestingly, bearing in mind that Britain in, in the Roman period was a very peripheral province, a very kind of minor province, we probably know more about uh, the archaeology of Britain than we do of any other comparable province. Really? Because the, um, the laws that have been brought in to conserve right. are, are so good and have been so good um, and the tradition of antiquarianism in this country is, is, is so venerable that we actually know quite a lot about Roman Britain. Um, and, and that's, so, Tom, I can't, I can't help feeling that we're just trudging endlessly through yeah, an so, underground so we've car been, park. Yeah, so we've been trudging through this car park, um, and there are bays. So we've got to 34 now, yeah. uh, and now we've got to 35. So this is probably the most <laughs> thrilling <laughs> Brilliant podcast has never, has never been more exciting. Um, and we just need to go a little bit further on. And, uh, Dominic, you will see something truly astonishing. Okay. Um, but the problem is, is we've now only reached 38, and we still... <laughs> What, what, can, what, can to get to? <laughs> what, what can we talk about to keep this going? Um, well, okay, I'll tell you about Hadrian. Yeah. So um, Hadrian famously comes to, uh, comes to Britain uh, and builds his wall. But it seems that um, during either before or um, probably before, just before he arrives, there seems to have been uh, fires in London. Yep. Uh, and so he may well have sponsored much of the, the redevelopment. And it's unclear whether these fires were just kind of isolated um, accidents of the kind that happened all the time, or whether perhaps there'd been some uprising. We just don't know. Ah, it's, it's lost um, history. This is probably the point to which I should tell the audience that I'm wearing new shoes yeah. <laughs> that are unbelievably painful. Whereas so, I'm, I'm wearing walking boots. So while Tom is so, wittering on about Hadrian, I'm just in <laughs> mute agony as we continue to trudge okay. through this underground I, car park. I must say, we've, we've what, now reached 48. What do we have to get to? 49, 50, 51, and at Bay 52, we are at Journey's End. And Dominic, I think you will agree that it's worth the trudge, it's worth the blisters, it's worth the, uh, the slog along the very unromantic environs of an underground car park it's also to see off, what we have. So tell us what, tell us what we have here. It's just a bit of war, isn't it? I mean, it is a bit of war. No, it is a bit of war. Disguising it. So this is Roman. I mean, you can sort of tell by the, the, again, you've got these very long, kind of flat, low bricks, haven't you? That are very recognizable to anyone who's been but to don't, I mean, do you not, th I mean, you're not sounding impressed. I think this is the most amazing thing to find in a car park. It's a chunk of Roman wall yeah. occupying two bays. Um, it's, it's very moving. And yeah, you're right. They've built, you know, the, the, they built the car park around They've built it. the car park around, around the wall. So. There's a few old scooters around. Okay, I'm just, I thought Dominic would be more, I, I thought you'd be more impressed. I think the by fact this. they fenced it off is a bit disappointing. Yeah, but it kind of adds to the, the whole ambience. <laughs> well, there's just a bloody big sign in front saying City of London, no parking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, obviously you can't park there because there's a chunk of Roman wall there. Yeah. Somebody's scribbled a bit of graffiti next to the wall that says, oddly, priority. 
Okay, well, I I think this is one of the great sites of, of not just the city of London, but just to but be the absolutely whole of London. clear, if you're flying to London from, let's say, America on holiday, yeah, go straight here. I don't think this should be. Yeah, I don't think it should be in your top ten. I think it should. Well, above. Um, well, the Tower of London and you know yeah. Westminster Abbey. It's too obvious, but you want to see a chunk of Roman wall in a car park. This is where you come. Yeah, your children will thank you for it. <laughs> if you'd... Well, Dominic, you're, you're a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. So the way that you get out of that, uh, we go through a door over here and there is a, a very, very Doctor Who passageway. And what we're going to do now... Oh, God, he's still going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want you to see the Doctor Who um, passageway. You might be more excited about that than the chunk of wall. Okay. Oh, it's actually quite dark. Maybe we shouldn't go long here. You sure this is... Uh, I mean, no, this, this is, is not sensible. No, this is not sensible. Passage. This is not sensible. Normally... Oh, we'll just show Dominic how, how Doctor Who it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is quite... Um, yeah. It is quite spooky, isn't so it? I don't know if we can get out. Let's go and find out. Maybe not. Tony, I wouldn't shut that door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, and here's a Dalek. <laughs> but I've got one more place, Dominic, to show you, and that is um, a, a kind of very moving sight, unexpected sight that okay. takes us back is it to the end of Is, is it London. in a car park? No, it's not. Let's do it. So, Dominic, we've been seeing um, highlights of the great days of Raymond London, but for the end of the show, the end of our, our tour, I've brought you to the foot of the gherkin, this kind of weird-shaped tower in, in, in London. And not just the foot of the gherkin, Tom. We yeah. are literally... <laughs> right outside a building that says in gigantic silver letters, Holland House. Yeah, well, where else? My, my, absolutely my favourite place in London and properly where I should be living. And I hate one day to, to move in, take it over. But Dominic, the reason I've brought you here, you are actually now standing. You're standing on a grave. Oh, my word. So buried here. So what we've got at the, in front of the gherkin, there is a, a, a black paving slab with um, a kind of laurel wreath yeah, on it. Yeah, with a wreath on it. And then next to it, there is some marble engraved. And you've got in Latin, Dis manibus puella incognita londiniensis hic sepulta est. Translation to the spirits of the dead, the unknown young girl from Roman London lies buried here. So what's the story, Tom? So when they were digging, and again, it's, you know, again and again, it's about developers digging stuff up and to their fury, discovering <laughs> <laughs> traces of the Roman city. And what they found here was something really, really amazing, which was uh, the grave... Of, of a young girl. Um, and that's odd because the Romans did not bury people within the city limits. Yeah, they buried them outside. So the city. there's a clue there that um, probably she is Christian because those, those kind of earlier taboos prevailed much less with Christians. Right. Um, and sure enough, when they dated the bones, they found that um, they dated her to um, 350, 400. So it's plausible so, she could have been a Christian. Yeah, and so it's towards the end of. of Roman Britain the, yeah. and the city of London by this point was in decline. We are within the limits of the city walls, but perhaps by this point, you know, already the population is falling. Yeah. Uh, buildings are kind of being given up to market gardens. So and what so we on. can imagine is sort of, this is an area of what allotments yes, overgrown, exactly. maybe exactly. already becoming ruined. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. So, so um, the, 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 the focus of, of activity in the very, very kind of last decades of Roman London would have been down towards the port, down towards the docks. Um, and we are further up from that. So you can imagine that this would perhaps be kind of agricultural land yeah. by, by the end of the fourth century. But the story, her, her story is, is, I think, 
I mean, it's very touching and it kind of, it's a perfect end for this tour because again and again, we've also been saying another theme is, is how people kind of project fantasies onto these strange trace elements that they find. So what happened with this was that, that her remains were put into storage in the Museum of London for about, I think about three years. And then 2007, once the Gherkin had been completed, they held a religious ceremony for her. So there was a memorial service. In what, of what religion? Well, there was, so there was a memorial service held for her at um, St. Bottle's Church, which is around the corner at, at, at Allgate. And there was a full-blown procession from the church that came here. So there were um, vicars and all kinds of people. Yeah. But there was also the Lady Mayoress. And they came here and, and, and laid her on this, um, beneath this slab that we're standing next to now. And the Lady Mayoress scattered rose petals is that what the Lady Mass thought Romans would have done? <laughs> I think so. Well, it's got, you, you, you have to kind of create traditions, don't so you? inventing you, a Roman. You have yeah. to invent traditions. Russell Crowe came and scattered some soil. And, or the, and the wonderful thing was, is that, is that um, uh, so ever since the mid-19th century, yeah. there's been a, a ban on burying people within the limits of the city. But they, they put in a special provision that... Um, uh, in in, um, in in 2007 that you could you could um, you could bury people here um, you could reuse burial plots if the previous occupant on the site had been there for more than 75 years and, and so obviously has, with, yeah. with her you could because she'd been here for kind of 1600 years so um, that kind of intersection of developers and archaeology yeah. of you know, uh, material finds and fantasy. It's the story of this um, episode, isn't it? It's the story of this episode. It's a nicely kind of melancholy, yeah. haunting note on which to, to end. Yes, and, and it reminds us that, that essentially Roman London fades away and ebbs away, and we don't really know what happens. Well, um, we will be taking up the story of London in future podcasts, won't we? We I'm will. sure by the time we're finished, we'll have been through every period of the capital's history. But I think for now, we would say, what do we say, valet? Valet? Ave at quei valet. There you go. Hail and you, heard it. you heard it from the horse's mouth. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hi, Resters History fans. If you want more Tom Holland in your life, and frankly, why wouldn't you? I have some good news for you. I'm Emily Dean, and I'm thrilled to say that this week, Tom is a guest on my podcast, Walking the Dog, where you get to hear well-known faces at their most relaxed, because I talk to them over a leisurely outdoor stroll with my dog, Raymond. And you can join us this week for a very special two-part in-depth chat with Tom Holland. And yes, I'm afraid I did ask him this question. Tom... How often do you think about the Roman Empire? I think about it a huge amount. In fact, there are days where I barely stop thinking about it. My brain is occupied by the Romans. It's like Gaul. If you want to hear more of my chat with Tom, give Walking the Dog a listen this week. And while you're there, you can take your pick from episodes starring the likes of Ricky Gervais, Jack Whitehall and Jimmy Carr. What's that, Raymond? Yes, The Rest is History did do an episode all about the greatest dogs in history. No, you weren't in it. Most spoilt dog in history, maybe.